Weekly Driver Podcast, episode number four. My name is James Rea, editor and publisher of theweeklydriver.com. I write a Sunday automotive column for East Bay News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times. My co-host is Bruce Aldrich, longtime friend, longtime car enthusiast, and we have a guest for this episode, both of our longtime friend, Bill Finkbeiner, who's a car expert, a car enthusiast, has a bunch of cars, but particularly today we want to talk about his Ferrari that he's had for many years, and he's very knowledgeable about Ferrari. So, Bill, welcome to our podcast, and um, how are you doing, and, and what kind of Ferrari do you own? Well, thank you, James. Nice to be here. Um, I have a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTE, which was the first mass-produced Two plus two, four seater Ferrari built. And you bought it when? And tell us a story about how you obtained the car and why you purchased it. So I bought it on Enzo Ferrari's 80th birthday, uh, February 18th, 1979. I've been looking at some old Ferraris for a while, and at that time, uh, they weren't necessarily expensive as they are today. The first one I looked at was a two seater. It was in the Sacramento Bee, advertised for six thousand dollars, and went over and looked at it probably mid or late 1978. And it needed everything. Wish I had bought it though. Looking back now, I wish it was in the back of the shop somewhere. Um, it's, it ran but smoked. The paint was pretty much gone. Needed everything, but uh, would have been a more valuable car today than mine is because they made far fewer of the two-seaters. Um, but And I drove a couple other cars. Went down to Fantasy Junction in Emeryville. At that time, they were in Berkeley and uh, drove a couple later 70s 2 plus 2s. The 2 plus 2s are cheaper to, to the Ferrari guys. I think back then the four-seat Ferraris were, were barely Ferraris, so they were uh, more affordable than, than the uh, nicer cars. Mm-hmm. And so you've had the car for almost 30, almost 30 years now? 40 years? Yeah, 38, 38 and a half years, yeah. And so over the years, what have you what have you done to the car? How often do you drive it? And and Ferrari, we all know Ferrari is Ferrari, and there's nothing else like a Ferrari. But how has it fluctuated in terms of how often you've driven it, what you've had to put into it, its value, if you don't mind sharing, and and other things that, that since you've owned a Ferrari for almost four decades, what's it been like to be a Ferrari owner for all that time? Yeah, being a car guy overall, because uh, I might be more of a Model T guy than I am. Ferrari guy, really, certainly as far as my uh, finances go, I'm much more of a Model T guy. Um, but in 1979, these four-seaters were going for ten dollars to $12,000. Uh, early 70s, I understand they were down around 3000 or so you could buy that car for, which it cost new in 1962, you know, twelve dollars to $14,000, depending on where you bought it. But you could buy a small house for that in in 62, but they got down to, you know, very affordable. When I bought it in 79, it probably would have been like buying a real basic pickup, new, you know, so it was still more than I probably should have been borrowing to, to, uh, to buy as a 23-year-old. I had a Cosworth Vega, the twin cam Vega, which, um, just the word Vega makes most people roll their eyes and not have any interest, but they were kind of neat. Yes. Uh, but I traded that in and financed $8,500 to buy the car in 1979. 
And it really didn't go up in value for several years until Enzo Ferrari passed away in 88. Mm -hmm. And then it went from still being that ten or $12,000 car to uh, mine in the condition it was in, uh, about $150,000 I could have and, and probably should have sold it for uh, in 1991. Uh, because within, oh, I don't even remember, five or 10 years later, they were back down to being a $25,000 car. And I could have uh, sold it, banked that, and bought half a dozen of them. And uh, come out really well if we had crystal balls. Right, right. How often do you drive the car these days? I know you have other vehicles, which we'll talk about some other time. But when you, when you take the car out, I, I've seen the car a few times. And I've been on some, some trips with you. And, and you brought it out to our, our running club a few times. Um, how often do you have a chance to drive it? And what is the reaction of people when, when you drive it? Do you get stopped a lot? Do people stare at you and so forth? Well, when I, when I originally bought it, it was really my daily driver for a couple years. And then I found out I'd been misled by my specific question about the condition of the, the engine and specifically the valve guide. So after a couple years after I got it, it was smoking so badly that I, I really couldn't drive it. And then it sat for about seven years at a buddy's mechanical shop as he kind of slowly rebuilt the engine over time. Um, but today I drive it only probably a half a dozen times a year. Um, a friend who painted it several years ago puts on the Concord at Serrano, which is coming up usually yes. first Sunday of October. And although mine's not in condition to show and be judged, uh, it's just on display there. It's usually the oldest Ferrari there. Um, and I'll drive it, you know, at least every couple months I try to get out and go somewhere enough to completely warm it up and make sure everything's still functioning. Um, and the, the beauty of the old ones is they're not a timing belt. You hear the horror stories. If you have a 15-year-old Ferrari today, it goes in for timing belts every five years or 15,000 miles, whichever comes first. Yes. And it used to be a $3,500 project probably to do that because they do some other maintenance because they typically pull the engine out completely for most of them. Um, and so they do everything that's easy, seals and, and different things while it's out. Um, and most of them, guys I talk to, they reach that five-year limit without putting 15,000 miles on it. So you've got that. And now I hear from five to eight, even $10,000 for a service. That's it. Nothing ever goes wrong just to do the maintenance. My car, the engine was overhauled. It's got to be 15 years ago. And the three carburetors and two distributors, two dual-point distributors, have not been touched in that 15 years. It just seems bulletproof. You know, I always heard the horror stories, even of the old Ferraris, that your your brother better be a Ferrari mechanic if you're gonna own it. It just never really needs anything. It it just goes when I try to, when I am ready to go somewhere. Yeah, Bill, I've heard a lot of horror stories, as you're mentioning, and talk to us about like the price of the parts. Now, you're, you're not talking about remanufactured parts in Mexico here. This is the real deal. Uh, from Ferrari, is that correct? Yes, and there's not much probably available directly from them now, but over the years there's, there's sources around the country or around the world who have stockpiled everything they could find, um, you know, of old dealership stock and that sort of thing. And for, and generally you don't need the mechanical stuff. If it's a clutch or brakes, you can have pads relined. Um, for knobs and odd little, the uh, wing nuts on the air cleaner, it's got one over each of the three carburetors. It's a, like a 
three-point wing nut. Um, originals are probably a couple hundred bucks a piece if you can find somebody to part with them, but there's people remanufacturing them because there's, along with my car that now has become a lot more valuable than a car I should have, um, it's still not a multi-million dollar car that essentially uses the same parts. And so some guy somewhere with a $5 million California Spider, um, which would probably be a bargain on any California Spider right now, um, is having those manufactured. Instead of making three, they make a hundred of them. And so the, the good side is there's a lot of little things that are available because somebody out there needs them so badly for their very expensive car that they're at least available for the four-seaters, um, even though the prices still seem crazy, at least they're available. And, and so I've never had anything I couldn't find, and I've never needed much. Well, that's good. And tell us, what color is your car? It is red. It almost wasn't. It was red when I got it. And over the years, I uh, noticed that the interior that was tan under it, I found one little piece of kind of maroon interior. And when it did go in the paint shop, where it spent two years, um, just at the very end, I decided I might want to go back to the maroon interior and do a kind of a dark gray. And uh, when I went in to tell them, some of it was already red and it was too late to make the change. But uh, in talking to the to Brian Moore, who did the, the body work and paint, um, and he also is the one who puts on the Concours. Um, he said from what he could see, it probably was dark gray originally. So if I had to do over again, it would be gray with the maroon, which wouldn't satisfy most people. If I wanted to sell it, it's probably better off red with tan interior. But uh, for me, I, I would kind of prefer to have that original color scheme on it. That's nice. So how, what do you, how much money do you think you got into this uh, 62 and what do you think it's worth now? Boy, it's hard to say. I, like I say, I always figure I paid 11 for it um, with the value of to the dealership of what that Vega would have been. Um, and what I paid them for it, had the overhaul done, and this was going to be friend that was going to do it uh, and not make it a priority. It was going to be when he had spare time and if he needed to shop for two months to find a better deal on pistons or whatever the case was, uh, he'd just take his time. It, we never intended it to be seven years, but I got away with about $7,000 for the engine overhaul um, between cash and trade and, and everything. And today I hear people spending literally 10 times that $70,000 to have their engine and transmission overhauled in a similar car. And the paint was the same thing. I'm a landscape contractor. I, I did some trade work for most of the paint work. Um, but, you know, a paint job on any old car is 10 grand these days if you're, you know, if it's something older that you've got to get down to bare metal. And value-wise, you know, they, the four-seaters have always been the, the bottom feeders of the Ferrari market. Uh, but it's gotten to the point that a, you know, 60-year-old, 55-year-old Ferrari is just scarce enough. They made 1,004 of these cars in three or four years that they were produced. And about a third of them exist still, as near as they can tell. There's a registry for this specific model with a newsletter four times a year. And, and that's, they try to locate everyone they can find. And some of them have been rebodied to look like a California Spider or GTO or something, uh, which actually increases their value. 
and uh, uh, and it, the expense too. It's the bodies aren't free; they're typically very well done. Uh, but the, right now, Cavallino magazine—it's a six-issue-a-year magazine just for Ferraris. It's been out since about the time I bought my car. Um, every issue has a list of every model ever produced and a high and low range of value, and they base it on the, the cheapest ones in recent sales and the top ever, typically. And they're valuing the, the 250 GTEs from 350 to 900 right now. The one that sold for 900, and there was one that sold for 800,000, 797.5, I think. One of them was rebodied, um, and I can't imagine, unless it was Enzo's personal car, how the other one in stock form was uh, up in that range. But typically, I haven't seen one advertised under 349 for a couple of years now, and uh, most of them are in that bottom of that range, you know, from the three and a half to $500,000, which is amazing to me. I mean, not a car I should have. Along with my own case, for, yeah. for Ferraris, uh, just uh, thinking performance-wise, if you had to think of what that '62, the performance compared to today's cars, you I don't know, put a Vet say at one end and a Prius at the other. What would you think your car, that '62, is? What does it compare with? Well, the um, the top speed was just over 150 when road and track test drove them in '62. Wow. Uh, the quarter mile was 1530. So, you know, you can probably buy a, an Accord or a Camry off the lot and, and beat it in almost any uh, performance test. Right. I was wondering, we, we, all three of us have been at Monterey Auto Week several times. And this uh, past year, uh, last month, as a matter of fact, was the 70th anniversary of Ferrari. So not really knowing that much about Ferrari. Can you look at your car and look at a new Ferrari, other than the prancing horse, you know, the emblems and things, is there, are there any similarities to, the, to Ferraris from 60 years ago to today's Ferraris, or have they changed dramatically? Well, to me, they've changed pretty dramatically. You asked before, and I didn't really answer about the looks you get driving down the road. Yes. For the most part, people don't even know what it is. The old-time car guys see the sort of basket grill and the prancing horse and know instantly, but um, most people wouldn't even know what it is. And, you know, if maybe my kids, when they were younger, talk to a friend and they're going to come over and see the Ferrari, if you open the garage, they'd probably be pretty disappointed that it's not a sleek, you know, aerodynamic-looking um, car like the more modern ones. But they're they're very distinctive to Ferrari guys. Usually the grill and the and the prancing horse, of course, gives it away instantly. And uh, and some of the other lines are similar. There's a lot of one-off Ferraris that are very unique to themselves. But um, uh, and you do get looks, and you know people appreciate it in a in a car show, the old timers. But uh, it always surprises me that my taste in cars. If I go to a car get together and the cars that are really getting the attention, I have no interest in, and and uh, the ones that people are walking right by, I I tend to take more time with. You mentioned Enzo Ferrari, and I did a little research on him, and I did I thought for some reason that Ferrari was older than seventy years, and I don't know why I thought that. But are you a student of? Have you followed and done a lot of studying on on the man himself? Have you followed what his life was about and, and what he did with his vehicles? 
Uh, not too much. I mean, I haven't specifically tried to study it. I had the good fortune of uh, last summer uh, taking a trip to Italy, which my wife had decided she had to go f to check out the food and wine six years ago. And for five years, she planned and saved and planned this really day by day or even hour by hour vacation, including uh, making sure that uh, her food and wine interests were satisfied and my son and my uh, car interests were satisfied. So uh, she was able to schedule uh, not just a tour of the Ferrari factory, but they have one specifically for Ferrari owners. Um, and so we were able to, going through a California-based dealership, schedule that for a certain day that worked into the trip and did about a there were probably 15 participants being busted around the factory and and uh, awesome trip. But later that day, the whole family went over um, to uh, Enzo Ferrari's childhood home, which has been turned into a museum. And so that was really neat too. And and I, I did already know that the uh, that when my car was a new car, that was what he drove. And uh, I've read stories of his driver from the time who. Pretty much admits he says, "I, you know, my title was the driver, but really what it entailed was going out when he was ready to travel, bringing the car, and then I got in the passenger seat, and and Mr. Ferrari drove the car, and uh, so it's fun to to know that he actually drove that one, and and there is one identical in the in the museum. There it is, at his childhood home. I don't even know the answer uh, at all, but." His family members, as he had son and daughters who were still alive, relatives. Um, I don't know much about the, the Ferrari family at all. Yes, and, and I should know more specifically, but of course his son Dino, the, yes. the Dino Ferrari and yes. Dino Fiat were named after, uh, passed away you know, very young. Um, but there are still family members uh, very involved with the company today. Great. Well, uh, thank you for joining us on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Thanks to our guest, Bill Finkbeiner. Thanks to my host, Bruce Aldrich, and please be sure to check out my website, www.theweeklydriver.com, and check out Bruce's website, www.tahotruckyoutdoor.com, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.